All right, let's go to Mark uh, chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We are getting ready to dive into 1 John. Last week's message and this week's is kind of prep for that, and then we'll take the uh, Sunday off with Mother's Day, and then uh, we'll dive into it. But uh, we're going to look at uh, following Christ, uh, what it means to follow Christ. Uh, I want you to understand, uh, you know, when, kind of how to follow Christ. Um, and I want you to do this by, by kind of looking at the ways, and, and we'll see this, how, how the disciples followed Christ. That'll give us a good clue into how we should do it. Now, when Jesus told the disciples to follow him, <coughs> they weren't thinking, hey, wow, this is the Son of God we get to follow. We get to write the Bible Ooh, we're going to teach people to love their enemies. We're going to establish the church. This is going to be awesome. That was not on their minds. They see Jesus as, first of all, an odd kind of rabbi because rabbis didn't ask for followers. Uh, You had to get permission to follow a particular rabbi, but this one is going around picking his followers. So he's he's odd to start with. And then then as they got to know him a little bit, they thought he was going to be the political fix-it man. They thought he was going to work to get Rome out of Israel. Uh, They wanted Rome out of their lives, out of their country, and they started thinking Jesus might be the man for the job. So when Jesus called Simon and Andrew and James and John, uh, you know, they, they did follow, but not all for the right reasons. They had political motives, they were ambitious, they were self-serving. So let's look at Mark chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 14, let's go down to verse 20. It says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came unto Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and, be, and, and believe the gospel." Verse 16, and as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you uh, to become fishers of men. And straightway they followed, uh, and I'm sorry, and, and straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he was gone a little farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother who uh, also were in the ship mending their nets, and straightway he called to them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. They just left everything, left dad and, and, and the employees right there. All right. Uh, now Jesus did not say for them to wait until their motivation was pure or wait until they fully, completely, really understood. See, Jesus allowed... He allowed wrong reasons. He knew that correction would take time. He allowed them the freedom to be wrong. Now, some things just, just you know, they're, they're not going to make sense until time passes. They're not going to make sense un, until you grow a little bit. Sometimes you just have to have more information before it all comes together. And Jesus was okay with that as long as there was progress being made. Now, at first they struggled with him. He was not what they had expected. Not that they really knew what to expect. Uh, their expectations might have been off, but whatever they were, they they couldn't have expected what they got or 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 saw in this in this young rabbi, 
breaking tradition by asking them to follow him. Leave something here in Mark 1. I want you to go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, find verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And it says, The same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent uh, away the multitude and took, uh, took him even as he was in the ship, uh, and, there were, uh, and there were also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they wake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have so that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, calming the sea was more than they bargained for. I mean, the sea went from utter turmoil to flat, dead, glass calm. Not a ripple. They witnessed some incredible power and authority which they did not expect. Look over in chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. And he began to teach them that the Son of God must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be, and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake uh, that saying openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now their Messiah, their political savior was not supposed to die. After all they had been through and now he tells them that he has to be put to death. Are you kidding me? I mean, how, how their hearts must have broken, the anxiety swelled up from the pit of their stomach, and how their thoughts must have raced. This was not who they thought it was. Go to chapter 9 and look at verse 32. Chapter 9, verse 32. says, But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. Now, what's the setting for this? It's, it's not bad enough that they had to wrap their minds around their idea of losing him and their friend, their teacher, their hope. But now there's this coming back from the dead stuff. I mean, really? I mean, all right, calming the sea is one thing, but, but beating death? And they're afraid to ask him. I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. No, I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. No, I'm not going to do it. No. They struggled with coming to terms with just who Jesus was as they followed him. Now, they struggled with him. He, he struggled with them as well. Look back in chapter 4, see a few instances of this also. In chapter 4, find verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then shall ye know all parables? He's, he's saying, Didn't, don't you understand? You're, you've been with me for a while now. You should, you should get these things. I mean, it's only hard to find if you look in the wrong place, right? I mean, they should know where to look by now. Um, in verse 40 of chapter 4, And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? 
I mean, they're in the storm again, and, and he's about to calm the storm. And after all they had seen him do, all, all, all they had known he was capable of, they feared because they didn't know him as they should have. Yes, they, they knew about him, but, but they really haven't gotten to know him yet. And it's shocking how much people don't know about the Lord or the content of their own Bibles. It's like they've gotten their theology from, from movies and TV Facebook. Do not get theology from Facebook. It's a bad idea. It's like they should have known. They should have known, right? Look at chapter 7, verse 18. Chapter 7, verse 18. And he said unto them, are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever things from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Again, they're just not getting things. It's like, are, don't you see this by now? I mean, after a round of debate with the Pharisees about their traditions being placed in higher authority than God's word and explaining to them that defilement starts in the heart, the disciples still just can't seem to get it. And by Jesus' statement, we know that he expected them that they should have understood by now, but they didn't. And, and if you don't understand spiritual things, if you don't get the Bible, it's not God's fault. It's yours. Look at chapter 8 and verse 17. Chapter 8, verse 17. And when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? He says, Do you still not get this? Are your heart still just hard? I mean, Jesus had finished feeding a very large crowd with a very little bit of bread, and he uses the leaven in the bread as an object lesson, warning about the leaven of the Pharisees, how just a little bit can do a lot of damage, all right? Uh, they can have dramatic results, just like leaven in bread and dough, you know, it's very, very common. And they missed it again. See, their relationship was not rainbows and puppies, but Jesus stuck with them. Jesus allowed them to follow him anyways. He had difficulty with his own disciples. 8.21, if you're still in chapter 8. He said unto them, how is it that you do not understand? You know, it takes work. It takes work to understand spiritual things. There's no way around it. Jesus expected them and he expects us to put in the work, to think outside our little frame of references and to stretch ourselves. It's not always easy, but if you're, you know, if you're lazy, you're not going to get it. But as the disciples found out later, after they got it, it was worth all the work and the time and the energy. Now, all that's just introduction. Let's get into the message. I want to suggest that Jesus wanted his disciples to follow him in four areas or four ways. Number one, follow me, Jesus says, instead of following someone or something else. See, the alternatives of following Jesus are the same for us as it was for them. Politics, power, wealth, success, pleasure, ambition. 
This is as relevant today as it was in the first century. There are so many things that offer themselves as idols. So many things present themselves as better than God, more fulfilling than God, stronger than God, more satisfying than God. All of them lie. But we are so easily deceived. Jesus is asking us to follow him instead of following someone or something else. He must be the one object of our soul's desire, the one priority we seek, the one person we look to for fulfillment. Jesus says he is the way. He is the only way to life, the only way to joy, the only way to meaning and fulfillment and truth. Follow me, Jesus says instead of following anyone or anything else. The second thing, he says, follow me, Jesus says, from where you are. The early followers did not come from a neutral or perfect position. See, everybody has a bias. You cannot, as, as, as hard as you try, you cannot be unbiased. You have to decide really just which biased is the best bias to be biased with because you're going to have one, and you can't get around it, all right? You must decide uh, where you're going to fall on this. Jesus isn't expecting you to have it all together before you start following him. I mean, he'll take care of things along the way. He'll grow you. He'll line you up where you don't yet. See, they came with problems and flaws, and we all have problems and flaws. They range from quirks to just outright sin. You'll not find a person but Jesus who doesn't have some issue that needs fixing. We are all just a bunch of broken, messed up people enjoying the grace of God. That would have been a good place for an amen, just in case you're wondering. All right, thank you. Jesus says to start where you are, but to start, okay, to start here. See, he doesn't say wait until you're reading the Bible every day before you start following him. So you can never read your Bible enough on one hand, but you have to read it all you can on the other, but you don't place yourself on some misplaced guilt trip because you miss a day of reading or you don't get up early enough to cover it and have to do it in the afternoon. You never want to excuse sin. Let me say that. You never want to excuse sin, but give yourself a little grace. He doesn't say wait until you're praying all the time before you start to follow him. See, prayer is warfare. Prayer is not preparation for the war. Prayer is the war. Prayer is communication with the God of all creation. Prayer is commanded. Prayer is expected. Prayer is communion of your spirit with the Holy Spirit of God. But the Lord understands that it takes time to grow into that all-the-time consciousness of his presence. He understands that it takes time to grow into that kind of relationship. He doesn't say wait until you're witnessing before you start to follow him. But you do need to witness. And you do need to follow him. You see, only in nature anyways, only mature things reproduce. And if you can lead someone to faith in Christ, you should. All right? If you can lead someone to faith in Christ, you should. If you can't, then you should learn how. Right? If you can't, you should learn how. But it's something to be done really after, and with this one, it's after and during following Jesus. 
You don't have to be regular in church, but you need to be regular in church to follow him. See, we only have three corporate services a week, right? Sunday school, this hour, Wednesday. Um, you, know, you, could, you could make it if you tried. Um, Sunday school, worship, Wednesday night. Yeah. And, and yes, I, I think you should be at all three. Okay. I really think you should. I know that some of you don't like being told that, and we've run into people that uh, will not come to all three simply because the pastor, me, said you should. And really it's that sinful pride of, of, of not wanting to be told what to do that they resist. And, and even though it comes from God, they still don't want to do it. You see, it's not legalistic to tell you what God says. It's not legalistic to tell you that you should obey God. It's not legalistic to tell you that the Lord is to have the number one priority in your life. That's not legalism. That's a restatement of what God has clearly said in his word over and over and over again. That is not legalism. See, it's my job to say that. It's my job to think like that. But I'm, I'm not your judge. So don't lose any sleep over the pastor thinking you should be here at every service when you're not. Um, you know, that's between you and Jesus. And you know, if he lets you off the hook, who am I to argue, right? Amen. Right? Okay, there we go. All right. I've said before, those, those TV and radio preachers, they can't give you most of what you need because most of what the Lord does, he does through the preaching and teaching in a congregational setting. Then you get those folks that say, well, if the pastor was a little more dynamic or more exciting or funnier, you know, then I would pay attention and I would come. And these folks are, um, you know, we've had folks that, that, that don't come anymore here. We've had folks not come in other churches that we've been in because, because I don't do the dog and pony show. You know, I, I, I just can't. I don't have the personality for it, for one thing. And what they're really saying is that they wish the pastor would be more entertaining because uh, really it's it's an issue of being too childish to discipline themselves to hear from God on God's terms if you want to be entertained church really isn't the right place for you um, you should stay home and watch you know, Dr. Who or something uh, worshiping God hearing from God is not about your entertainment neither is it an issue of making sure you don't get bored but still, if you aren't already following Jesus or trying to, then, then why come to church in the first place? Um, you gotta, that, that needs a little contemplation. Okay? He doesn't say wait until you've got it all together, that, that your attendance is perfect and that you're tithing and, and that you're given to missions is where it should be. He just says follow him. Now, we know tithing's commanded. It's, it, it's smart. It's theft not to give to God what belongs to God. God promises to bless you if you do. But tithing and not following Jesus looks a whole lot like you're trying to buy God off. And God doesn't work that way. You don't tithe and then follow Jesus. You follow Jesus and then tithe. So he says to follow him from where you are right now. And then he says, let me change you. I'll take care of things. He'll do the cleaning up. He'll do the changing. He'll do the adjusting of the life. He will meet you right now, right where you are, with all of your baggage and all of your pain, but he loves you too much to keep you there. 
And he will work and he will grow you and he will bring you to the place of being more like him. But you need to follow him to get that started. Thirdly, Jesus says, follow me, he says, to my destination. It's just a lifelong commitment. Many of the followers left Jesus when they discovered that he would not accept the political kingship, that he would not run Rome out of town. Judas betrayed Jesus when he realized that his own political ambitions wouldn't come to fruition. Well, this isn't the guy that I thought. He's not going to take care of Rome? Well, then let's see if I can at least make some money off the deal. When Jesus stopped performing for the crowds, they left to find another show to watch. Leave something here in Mark. I want you to go to John. John chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In John chapter 6, I want you to find verse 67. John chapter 6. Find verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, Jesus had just used the metaphor of of the bread and the wine becoming his body and blood. Quite a few of the disciples didn't get it. They thought he was suggesting cannibalism, which is abhorrent in almost any culture, but especially Judaism. And when they, when, when they left, the disciples that stayed had to watch them walk, watch them go murmuring as they went. And Jesus says, are you going to go too? Are you going to cut and run? And Peter summed it up so well when he starts to realize that they had gone too far. They had followed Jesus too far to turn back. They were quite literally all in and could not return to a life devoid of Christ. They really had nowhere else to go. Because anywhere else would be away from Jesus. See, if we stay with Jesus long enough, It'll become clear that we too have nowhere else to go. What are we going to do? Who else are we going to follow? There's no place for us. There's no other place that we need to be. There's no other place we can be but with Jesus. Now in Matthew 7.13, Jesus did say that there was an, another way. He says, wide is the way that leads to destruction. Uh, so, so there is a choice. And I guess there's, there's always a choice if you're willing to face the consequences. Um, but if you haven't figured it out yet, there's, 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 there's nothing easy about following Jesus. But it is so, and, and, and pardon my grammar here, so very much more worth anything that it will cost you here. See, Romans 8, verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Whatever awaits us there will make whatever happens here pale in comparison. Jesus wants us to follow him all the way to his destination. That is heaven. That's the presence of the Father. And what makes heaven heaven is that God and his glory is going to be there. Fourthly, Jesus says, follow me on my mission. Jesus knew that they did not understand the whole fishers of men thing that we read back in Mark 1. But he knew that eventually they would. They would get it. 
People always need something meaningful to do. God gave Adam, perfect Adam, a job. Okay? No sin. Okay? He still gave him a job to do, tend the garden. We Christians also have been given meaningful work. We, we have a mission. It is glorifying God by completing our mission, bearing fruit, making disciples, witnessing, leading people to Christ to be saved. You know, we start off the Christian life and ministry awkwardly, don't we? I mean, if you've been saved for any length of time, you know it was, it was weird. It was awkward, it was new, it was sometimes a little uncomfortable, it felt simplistic sometimes, but then it felt rigid and, 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 and sometimes legalistic because we didn't understand all the new rules and the way of speaking, you know, and, and everything was so new. I remember that, that a friend of mine had, had, had gotten saved and, and we were together, another friend of his came up and, and, and he handed me his Bible to lead his friend to the Lord because he, was, he just didn't know what to do with it. Kid got saved, by the way. It was kind of cool, but uh, you know, it, it it starts off that way because because we're still learning, we're still growing. So as a baby's learning to walk, you're going to fall on our rumps. We might fall on our faces, hit our head on the coffee table. You know, spiritually speaking, I'm not sure what that would look like, but I'm sure it would hurt. But eventually, we're going to get enough experience under our belt. This is going to become uh, less awkward and less rigid. As we follow him, we learn how to minister and to live with patience and long-suffering. Things make more sense. Doing the mission becomes familiar and even enjoyable. See, he teaches us how to best obey him, and he gives us a joy in our obedience to him. If you've ever been around an old saint, I mean an, 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 an old saint, I mean they, they are at the, just the sunset of their life and they've been saved for decade upon decade upon decade. They have learned what is important and what is not. They who have walked with the Lord really, really walked with him for a lifetime. There is something about them that makes, just makes you want to, want to know them better because you think the closer you get to them, the closer they're going to bring you to Jesus. You know that they're a walking treasure chest of precious time spent with God. And then you'll begin to pick their brain and ask them how they got it, how they do it, how did it work for them. And, and you know what they're going to tell you because they're old and they're wise in the Lord. It says you just got to say yes to Jesus and no to sin. You got to pray. You know, and at that time, that sounds so wise and deep and precious because you know that they've spent their lifetime doing exactly that. Look back in Mark. I want you to find chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, find verse 15. Mark closes with this final, final command here. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. It says, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is what we call the Great Commission. Now, it's not some generic motivational formula. 
It's a command to all believers individually, and it's the marking, marching orders for every Bible-based church. We have meaningful work to do here. All of this church stuff isn't just church stuff. There's a grand divine reason for all that we do here. It's the final statement in a story that gives that story meaning and it gives that story method. It is the point. It is the goal after our redemption has been secured. That is to spread the message that redemption has been secured. That's it. It's a person that was starving to death, finding food and telling another starving person where they found the food. It's a person dying of thirst coming to drink at the well of living water, which which is Jesus Christ. And then finding another person dying of thirst and telling them where to find that well of living water that is Jesus Christ. Tell more people about Jesus and then you tell more people about Jesus and you tell more people about Jesus. The Great Commission is the way to follow Christ on his mission. His mission was and is to seek and to save those that are lost. And by giving us this commissioning, these marching orders, he ensures that all those who love him would do so. They would be involved in his mission of making disciples. All right, let's see if we can wrap this up. Jesus said to follow him instead of follow someone or something else. So let me ask you, who or what are you tempted to follow instead of Jesus? Whatever it is, it it has to go. Uh, It's an idol. You're, You're cheating on Jesus with this thing. You're committing spiritual adultery, and it will leave you in pain and sorrow and heartbreak. Number two, you follow him from where you are. You don't try to measure up first. Don't try to clean up first. You'll you'll never get there. And if you wait until you do, you'll you'll blow your chance. Church people sometimes say to the world, well, clean up your life first, then follow Jesus. We'll, We'll let you in the doors if you look like us and smell like us and talk like us, but otherwise wait until you do. That is so wrong. That's not Jesus' method. Jesus did not require outward conformity. He works for and towards inward transformation. We have to stop being all judgy and allow sinners to be sinners until Jesus makes them saints. Number three, you follow him to his destination. Now, if you know Christ as Savior, you are secured. Uh, he is in heaven. You are going to heaven. He's there now. You will be. He wants you there. You follow him. You live for him now. You walk with him. And what are some practical ways that you can improve this personal following of Jesus? Well, it's very simple. You love him, and you obey him, and you learn him. There's no secret formula. You love him, you obey him, and you learn him. And number four, you follow him on his mission. And what does it mean to be involved in the mission of Christ? Jesus' mission, it means telling others that they don't have to die in their sins. It means that you love lost people enough to learn how to engage with them the gospel message of repentance and forgiveness of sins by their faith in Christ. If you don't know how to do that, if you're scared to do that, then you learn how to do it. And if all you can do is hand them a track, like we talked about in Sunday school, if all you can do is hand them a track, then at least start there. 
See, the bottom line is this. You follow Jesus. You do it right from where you are. You'll end up following him all the way to heaven while you carry out your mission. So the last two questions I have is, is, are you following him? And if you're not following him, why are you not following him? Are you committed to following Christ? Are you committed to following Christ? Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we come to you this morning wanting to be good disciples. We all want to be good. Father, we don't have any righteousness of our own. But thank you that through faith in your Son, Lord, you've given us righteousness. But now, Lord, we, we, need, to, we, need, to, we need to follow Christ here. We need to live out our faith. We need to be good disciples by making more disciples. And I pray, Father, that you would work in us. That we be good followers of you that we love you more than we love anything this world has to offer and this demonstrated by our obedience to you. Lord, the enemy has, 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 has lied to us and told us that it's scary talking to lost people and that they're mean and, and, and that they don't want to hear and, and, and we've bought into it, Lord, and I pray that you would clear those strongholds from our minds. Father, I pray that you would help us follow you and be good followers. And I pray that you would bring to mind the sin that prevents that so that we may repent of it, forsake it, and follow you as these rough, rough fishermen just dropped what they were doing to follow this young rabbi and had no idea what they were getting into, but they wouldn't have done it any other way. Father, remind us of the glory that awaits us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen. Keith, would you come ahead? All right, take your uh, books while you're still standing, and let's go to 470. 470.